this is Heather Luttrell, and you're listening to Two Faces Radio. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Two Faces Radio, episode 21. Oh, we can drink. We're here. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're legal now. Now we can start drinking during the show. That should improve the shows. <laughs> the, uh, the date is January 23rd, 2010. My name is Ira Malkin. I'm Brian McClain. My co-host over there is Brian McClenning, our very special guest that we have in the studio today, an Atlanta music icon, a legend. Can I say legend? You can say whatever you want to. It may not be true, but you can say it. I'll tell you what. I was, I was telling wait, somebody. The man's name oh, yes, is yes. Kodak Harrison. And if you haven't heard that name, you probably uh, don't live in Atlanta. Well, I was I was telling somebody about the show and our current guest that was co- and you know Kodak coming in. And I said, it almost seems as if you're kind of like... Quietly legendary. <laughs> I don't know. Right, if that's that a, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of how I described it. Because you know, when you read your bio, it's incredible. Some of the people you've yeah. associated with and played with and performed with in different facets. I know. I was going to mention that. You know, when you do research on Kodak, I mean, there's you go to his bio and there's just so much on so there. So much. And yeah. we only have an hour here. I mean, it would be great to get into everything because there's a lot that we could probably talk about, but we'd be here for days, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> and, so, you know, we'll hit the important stuff, you know, at least what's going on nowadays, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Well, anyway, so wonderful musician, singer, songwriter, also accomplished poet and spoken word artist. We'll get into that stuff later. Which you're our, you're our first poet and spoken word artist on this on this show, so congratulations! I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to start I it am. out uh, hearing a first tune from you, and uh, you can go ahead and introduce it and tell us what we're hearing. I'm going to start off with "Where Dreams Become Real," which is a song I wrote years ago after playing the King Fest, uh, which used to be sponsored by uh, Alma '88 uh, back in the day. And um, it's a tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. And I recently was asked to play this song down at the King Center uh, right. on the uh, Sunday before the holiday. Wow. They dedicated a new 125-foot mural down there. Yeah, really? I saw that. Um, it's pretty incredible. It was pretty incredible, yeah. And I was uh, flattered to be asked to come down and perform this song there. I've uh, re-recorded uh, this song with the band. Yeah. Uh, I did it years ago produced by Brendan O'Brien before he became really big time. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's but that <laughs> particular version is, is I don't own that recording. I still own the song. So I just said, well, let's just re-record it. So I did that this fall. And that's the first song I'm going to do for you here uh, is a solo acoustic version of uh, Where Dreams Become Real. Once there was a dreamer who dreamed for all mankind For all the forgotten people, all those left behind And he carried his dreams from the small towns and the cities To the steps of a Lincoln Memorial And he told us of a day when all mankind Would be free at last Free at last In that place Where dreams become real In that place So Is revealed And dreams become real 
become real. But there are those who out of ignorance and hate who will destroy the dream. And he was shot down in Memphis round supper time. But the dream did not die. You can kill the dreamer But you can't kill the dream It lives on, lives on In that place Where dreams become real In that place So is revealed If dreams become real dreams become real where dreams become real where dreams become real later I was watching my TV when I saw the dream personified I saw some kids interviewed down on Auburn Avenue and I knew the dream was still alive you could see it written in their faces you could see it shining from their eyes You could sit in the way they held themselves. In the way they held their heads up high. The dreams alive. In that place where dreams become real. In that place so said I want to take you where dreams become real he said I want to take you where dreams become real he said I want to take you where dreams become real he said I want to take you where dreams are real where dreams are real where dreams are real where dreams are real
inspiring awesome. too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> how you. old is that song? Uh, that song's, uh, uh, how old is that song? It's um, 20 years old, at least, maybe 21. So that it's was pretty one. It's 21. It's 21. Just like our episode. <laughs> it's old enough to drink. <laughs> it's old enough to drink. So when you said 40 years later, I guess that was 20 from, years from, ago. From the, uh, um, actually, the originally. Uh, <laughs> Let's do the math here. I know. Let's not. <laughs> well, I said 40 years later because 40 years from the. Uh, from his from birth. birth. From his assassination. Right. Which was in okay. 68. And I wrote the song in 88. Okay. And now it's 2010, so it's... Oh, okay. I see. Okay. So I next gotcha. fall, it'll be So you changed the, uh, <laughs> you change the date no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I was... <laughs> no matter what know, year. 39 years you know, and six months it's ago. 40 years now. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so now that I'm singing it, or a little over, but uh, right. uh, when I wrote it, it was 20 years. So I guess I was thinking... <clears throat> I think I was thinking uh, like 40 years from... Because he died in 30... It, he was no, like 30... 30. He was oh, in his thirties when, 30, when he yeah. died. He was like thirty-eight or something. Thirties. He was relatively young. I know. That's a good question. I don't know. Exactly I don't remember how exactly. Relatively young. terrible. I should and I'm know not that. a math guy, so I don't <laughs> want to sit here and try to figure it out either. No, I, and I was just thinking that you were like in the song, you know, kind of thinking about what you were talking about. I think I was thinking about when you wrote. That's why I was asking when you wrote it because I was thinking maybe yeah. it was forty years from when he <laughs> uh, was. Well, anyhow. you know, I played the King Fest in in uh, the summer of '88. Yeah. Um, okay. Wrote that song after that, and then that fall. Uh, Recorded it with Brendan uh, producing it, yeah, and then recently this fall re-recorded it. So that's where all this. So originally okay. it was twenty years, and now that now it's, it's 40, <laughs> forty years, uh, you know, something like that. Well, you can uh, you can set that down if you want. We can we can take a moment if if that you makes you feel that more down, comfortable. You mean my my guitar? Exactly. I'm comfortable with it here. Well, no, keep it, then keep it, it keep where it, it is. Yeah. You know, uh, we can set it down. I don't. I was gonna say, that's why I said if you want. You know? I was going to say, now that we've thoroughly confused everybody with numbers and math. I hope, I hope everybody's enjoying this. <laughs> you can set that down now. That's right. Yeah, uh, put your calculators down, everybody. It's it's okay. That's right. Uh, we're so. with it. So, yeah, that was uh, was one of those tunes where like the kind of the passion comes out, you know, with the lyrics and yeah. and as it builds towards the end, everything kind of comes together musically and melodically and and uh i don't know the whole feel of the song kind of comes together towards the end it's one of those and that's one of the ones you have featured on your myspace page i noticed too is that a newer version uh, that is the latest version that i have featured there which is pretty much produced in a rock uh sense Uh uh-huh right yeah uh and uh but it had some clips in the beginnings um some sound clips in the beginning didn't it or maybe maybe it was just uh sure there's a uh there was a uh, spoken word version of the song that uh, Turner South did, and before they was uh, sold, uh, and they played it, and they put a nice little video kind of behind it, and had some shots of Martin Luther King mixed in with me yeah. performing it, and with a bass behind it. It was really cool. I was flattered. Huh. The only thing I didn't like about it uh, is TV, so they had to cut it down to two minutes, so right. they took out <laughs> what I think is the best line of the song, really? which is. Uh, uh, you can kill the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream. They cut that out, and I was like, "Man, man. They cut the best line." <laughs> but I understand they, you know, they they got it's do business. That. That, yeah. That's one of those great songs too for being you know, living here in Atlanta. That's makes such a huge connection, you know, historically. Like we're really lucky, I guess, down here to to have all that history. Well, I mean, the history is a. a, a, a uh, uplifting but yet tragic end yeah. to some of that history and um but That's we're all right here in general in general yeah. right <laughs> but we're all you know we're around all of it here yes. and you know you even mentioned things like auburn avenue and so living here it's so much 
more meaningful knowing the area and the place where some of these. I'd like to play. think so, but you know, I don't know whether that's to true me or it not. Is. But it, it, <clears throat> you would might not pick up on the Auburn Avenue part, uh, right? Uh, if you're not from, if you're here. not from yeah. here. It just was one of those things that kind of made it, you know, feel like, wow, it's great right. to, like, be able and, to And we have were talking about how old the song was. Uh, the third verse talks about kids being interviewed on TV. Well, it was in 88 that the uh, Democratic National Convention was here, and they were interviewing a lot of people on TV and stuff. Yeah. And I yeah. saw one, and I was trying to figure out what to do with the song to take it to another place uh, besides the, the basic story there. Uh, and when I saw that interview... Um, I thought, oh, yeah, let's let's do that. Uh, yeah. Let's keep the dream alive. Well, you know, can I ask one of the initial questions I had when we were when I was doing some of my uh, research on you is being that you're a poet as well as a singer songwriter. I was kind of curious. I know, obviously, songs are melodic poems many times. Um, but how do you approach when you first start writing a, a song or a poem? Like what happens first? Do you kind of just enter everything as poetry initially and then some things turn into songs or how does your approach begin i have found out much to my surprise that most songwriters write music first uh i'm not yeah. i i write generally lyrics first or have a lyric idea which develops in the process of writing a song not always i'll write them any way they'll come and i have written some where i've had musical ideas that have led to the th- but i guess that's the poet in me or something because i'm a word person and yeah and I think about, uh, so I've been writing songs long before I got into the poetry thing. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I did that, because critics kept calling me a poet, and I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not <laughs> I'm a poet, a I'm just a songwriter, you right. know, I'm, you know, but uh, uh, they kept kept that up, and I finally decided, okay. Well, All right, so you're, you're right, I'm a poet, okay, I'll I guess I'm that. a poet. <laughs> I guess I'm a poet, you know. That's what you want me to be, I'll be it. The right. classic, you're a poet, and you didn't know it. That's right. <laughs> <The classic. laughs> he embodied the classic yeah. line. Embodied yeah. the classic line. <laughs> I had managers back in the 80s who were telling me to take the poetry out of my music because they felt like it was over people's heads. But right. I, I feel like what managers should do, good managers, uh, is you should recognize the strong point of an artist and build on that. And I felt like that, obviously, from... It's easy to say in, in retrospect, but even at the time, with with critics calling me uh, a poet and raving about that, that they should have um, figured out a way to go with that. Obviously, it worked for right. for a lot of people. Dylan, yeah. Leonard yeah. Cohen, a little guy Bob, named Bob yeah. Dylan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but right. uh, they didn't look at it that way. You yeah, know? so we had well, and we, that Cohen, didn't work. <laughs> and Leonard Cohen was a writer for yeah. Many years before he ever before he started doing started music, singing, he yeah. had several books of poetry published. I think before he ever had a, a song. So uh, even when recorded. you just considered yourself a songwriter, the lyrics came first. It was always lyrics yeah. first for you. Yeah, yeah. I Mostly. would get a lyrical yeah. idea and, and work from there. Not always, but generally, yeah. most right. of the time. Well, yeah. he's right. I mean, a, a lot of poetry is over my head, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, you and I, I think, neither of us are very tall, so uh, that would make sense. Uh, right. Oh. I, I, I think I'm more of a limerick guy, you know. That, that reminds me, though. I, what? This, uh, there once was a girl from Nantucket. <laughs> Not dirty limericks. Just oh, the, you know, sorry. Regular limericks. Thomas yeah. Lux, who has the uh, permanent chair portrait over at Georgia Tech, the born chair, uh, does a piece in which he said this piece has a moral, and he tells the story about how everybody in the audience kind of. Mm, so yeah, at yeah. the end of doing this poem about. You know, it was a jungle poem, kind of uh, about jungle, kind of encroaching on this house out in the jungle, I guess, yeah. and trying to keep the jungle away and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But anyway, uh, at the end, he asked the audience uh, what they thought the uh, uh, the theme of it, and uh, he said, uh, 
all the audience, and this was a very academic audience, they pretty much didn't say anything. And finally, one uh, teenager uh, kid jumped up and said, uh, don't fuck with the jungle. Uh, and he said, exactly. You know, exactly. it doesn't take a PhD to understand poetry. You know, you try to make a lot more. You try to overanalyze yeah. it and you're missing the simplicity. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That don't was a great story. Don't fuck with the jungle. That's good. You sure you don't want to name your next album, Don't Fuck With The Jungle? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it wouldn't be bad. Because yeah. that's not bad. That's cool. Um, so, you know, according to your bio, which has a lot of stuff, uh, the music that you do, uh, you know, it's described in quotes on your bio as beatnik yeah. blues. And uh, it also says folk soul blues. and Bohemian uh, blues. I suppose. And bohemian blues in Europe, right? Is, it, is that... Well, people always ask you what kind of music I you know, play, you know, and I tell them, well, it depends on who I'm playing with. If it's yeah. just me by myself, me and my gu- guitar, then I guess it's kind of folkish, you know, right. you throw in a, a couple of electric guitars, bass and drums, and it kind of becomes rock, you know, add right. a saxophone and it takes on a jazzy R&B feel. I had a 10-piece soul band at one time with, with a horn section with three horns and three backup singers. That was a soul band, but... A lot of times it's the same songs. It just depends on how you yeah. how you do them. And I think that that you know. may have been when I first saw you in that capacity. Maybe probably back at Smiths and, and yeah, stuff like that and was a lot of fun. Uh, right. Um, I mean, and Brian and I haven't lived in Atlanta that long. We've only been here since the mid nineties. But uh, yeah, that would have been around ninety seven. Okay, and uh, I think that's when I first saw you, and I was like, oh wow. This guy's really doing that. That was a lot yeah. of fun. I always yeah. wanted to do that, uh, uh, and I did it. But, you know, how do you manage a band it's of that size? Yeah. Yeah. And you got to have big rooms right. and big <clears throat> stages. And But you were kind of king uh, of uh, Smith's Old Bar at that time. I feel like you were playing there an awful lot. I, I did it at one point in time uh, because I Mike Reeves, one of the owners, is an old friend of mine. And I, we were roommates way back in the 80s and oh, okay. worked together a lot. And uh, that had yeah that had something to do with that. So you kind of you kind of had good room in there. Well, I was playing also at Eddie's Attic a lot in those days, and it was a yeah. different kind of thing at Eddie's. He didn't he didn't like uh, he didn't like drums, and he didn't want any electric instruments and all. So if we did anything of that nature, we would go to Smith's. Right. Well, that uh, makes sense. So. Yeah. But I like the way Eddie's is, though. You know. Yeah. And that, uh, you got you can't fault uh, that formless work. Right. Uh, very good for Eddie, and and I. I appreciate what he does. Yeah, we don't, we don't talk I, much about Eddie's Attic we don't, on, on this show. No, we don't. And for people that uh, don't live in Atlanta, and, and even if they ha- do live here and they've never been to Eddie's, I mean, it's a great, uh, I mean, how would you describe it? It's, it's a great uh, venue. It's a listening room, and, and it's it, a yeah, lot of singer-songwriters. Yeah. You know. it's, a great, uh, it's a great place to go where people really respect music and the artists right. that come in to yeah. play there. It's not a place where you're going to go and talking bullshit with your friends while somebody's playing right i mean it's literally you're in that room and they ask for silence while the artist and is they'll playing, ask you to leave which is great you, you know, yeah if you start or talking at least they'll yeah. say go out to the patio you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. take it somewhere else which is great it's great to have places like that you right. know it's also fun to have the the barn burner places but oh yeah absolutely. You know, it's nice I to have a room place. for it all you know yeah but it is it is really nice to go there i i i was lucky enough when i first moved here to meet some people um Actually, a friend of mine owned a studio. Funny, we were just talking about this friend of mine. Eddie Pareja. Eddie Pareja. And he owned a uh, little recording studio called Tadpole Studios. And they sponsored their open mic nights, which were, I think, Monday nights for a long time. I don't know. Eddie's. Yeah, Eddie's. Mm -hmm. And um, 
uh, we did it a couple times, and it was actually like a competition. Every right. week they would have people, it, which was again was great. You know, people would come up, they play we one lost song miserably like every week, <laughs> we lost every time we went. But uh, it was great, and then it would promote, and then they would get some free time at Tadpole Studios. So that was, um, which is I don't think any longer. In I had mixed but. emotions when he first started doing that. It's it's actually I've I've warmed up to it because it's more like a poetry slam. Yeah. But uh, right. it's great for the audience. It's nerve wracking as for hell the artist, for the, yeah. for the artist. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to get up there and play a couple songs in competition with your friends yeah, right. and whatnot. But the audience get to hear a lot of different people, and they get to hear yeah. people that are really right. trying to be their best. And so it it can be, especially those shootouts he has twice a year. Uh, and you know, people have come out of that like John Mayer and whatnot. Yep. You know, so it's it's a, it's something that can catapult right. your career. And you've played with him, I noticed too. Uh, we did a, a thing. Uh, it was kind of, in fact, Christian Bush uh, and John Mayer. Um, everybody knows John Mayer. Christian Bush is in that band Sugarland now, and oh, a yeah. lot of people know him too. Yeah, uh, they yeah. came up with this alternative to the Lilith Fair. Remember when that was? Yeah, when they were doing the down oh, at yeah. Lakewood. It was, mm-hmm. uh, and it, which I went to a couple of those. It was all women, but it was awesome. Um, but anyway, so but it, women. but it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I like women, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, all the performers were women. But uh, yeah. uh, so their alternative for this at Eddie's was called the Willis Fair, huh. um, and so John and Christian put that together, invited me to uh, be a part of it. And John, I just love his guitar playing. Uh, <clears throat> he has the sweetest tone, uh, and he was one of the very few people that you would hear play electric at Eddie's because Eddie's. Obviously, when you can draw that many people, he lets you do whatever you exactly. want to do. Yeah, right. Uh, but, <laughs> He's uh, not an idiot. You want to bring and, in some timpanis? Go and ahead. I told him, yeah. I said, John, you know, play yeah. behind me. He said, sure. So he did a whole set with me playing uh, a guitar behind cool. me. Cool. So it was probably relatively recently then, probably within the last... Well, it was before he hit the big time, I can tell you that. When was that? Uh, that's a good question. It was before Eddie left. Uh, so Safe to say, within the last... Six years, probably, right? Oh, no, more than that I ago. I think it was more than that ago. Because yeah. Todd, who is uh, Jennifer Nettles, the singer for Sugarland's yeah, yeah, ex-husband, uh... bought it from Eddie. Oh, okay. And then Eddie has come back because another guy named Bob bought it and brought Eddie back as a manager. So it was, I would say, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, but, you know. I bet it was 10 years ago. It might have been, yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, Jennifer Nettles, she's another one who was in a great – she was in that uh, Soul Miner's Daughter. Yeah. Was that yeah. with – that wasn't Todd, though. No, no, no. that wasn't Todd. No. I don't remember the guy. Yeah, I don't either. Probably because he's not in Sugarland, <laughs> <laughs> and she is. Oh, yeah. well, she was pr- kind of like a queen of Smith's Old Bar yeah. as well. She, she was yeah. always up there yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. There were another one that I used to see. Right. Her there. band uh, was very popular in those days, and that's yeah. the reason when they came up with this idea of uh, attacking the uh, Nashville market, uh, Christian Bush uh, and Kristen Hall at that time, um, and asked her to sing. And it's funny because, well, it's not necessarily funny. Uh, I guess maybe in one one hand it's a tribute to her uh, abilities, but she was singing more R and B, and now she's singing more country. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah she was. Yeah, because soul mind. When the Nashville thing worked for her, though, yeah, yeah it definitely. definitely worked. Yeah, yeah got, she can sing. She's one of those ones yeah. who you get in a room and you hear her, and you're like, Whoa. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're a, you're pretty much a Decatur guy anyway, right? I mean, you absolutely. Live there. I live yeah. about three blocks from downtown, so I can walk walk right up there to Java right. Monkey or the Brick Store or Eddie's or Twain's right. or wherever. It's all in walking distance, which is cool. Yeah, I always yeah, love Decatur, but, you know, I live on the west side of town now, so I, I don't get over there too often. But yeah. Decatur's great. I mean, it's, it's just they support 
all kinds of art, you know, artists and, and art and Decatur so well, you know. It's, it, because it's kind of a centrally located, what I'm, a condensed little area, it's a great place for festivals. Like, for instance, yeah. the Decatur Book Festival is now, I believe, the second largest independent book festival, maybe the largest in the country, really? maybe mm-hmm. the third or fourth largest overall. Anyway, it's doing really well. And part of it is when they had it in Atlanta, it was so spread out, you had to decide what venue you wanted to go to, and you were there. Uh, and I participated in one of those out at the DeForce Center. Uh, so if you made it to the DeForce Center, you weren't going to, like, go anywhere else. Right. Uh, whereas there, you can go to an event at the courthouse or at Eddie's or at Java Monkey or at the library or wherever and walk not very far and go to another event. And they've got all the booths and things. So it's a great place for uh, things like the book festival. They do a wine festival, a beer festival, right. all kind yeah. of festivals. And it it's really works. general arts festival. Because of the area yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, no, it is a great. That's where I lived when I first moved here for a little while, just for a short period. But um, so it was kind of like my first Eddie's Attic was a big place that I went a lot yeah. initially. So it was great. It was cool. It's um, it's like a lot of areas. It's becoming very popular, and rents are going up, and all yeah. that. Kind of stuff. Well, but it's so, getting real nice out yeah. there. I mean, every time I drive through downtown Decatur, I'm like, oh wow, when did this pop up? You know, yeah. and, but yeah. it's all nice though. I think it's I think it's uh, doing really well. I mean, I it's, think at one time somebody told me there were 17 galleries there. I yeah. mean, you know, wow. so there's a lot of things going on. You know, yeah. uh, Paste is close to there, and uh, um, of course. We've mentioned a bunch of other places, but it's yeah. it's a happening little area, and I live there, and that's I'm well, pretty. And you're much getting some uh, nice restaurants too, which is yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. But uh, well, I guess that's a good segue to get into. We get, probably got a lot of history to talk about, too. yeah, because you were born all, all over. Yeah, yeah, history, yeah. history. <laughs> <laughs> but you, what uh, did we say about history a while ago? It, it's tragic, and it's it's, it's always it's, tragic, it's but always, always uplifting. uplifting. Uh, yeah, yeah right. it's uplifting yet always tragic. <laughs> Ends tragically, right? Um, Tragically uplifting. According to your bio that I read, you, you grew up in Jackson, Georgia, which is south of here? Halfway slowly. between here and Macon. I liked uh, yeah. how it said slowly in Well, Jackson, in, in a sense, uh, yeah. it, it, I didn't grow up. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, it's not so small anymore. Uh, in fact, now I think they call it part of the metro Atlanta area because uh, the, the county's filled up. And now it's, it's, they've cut all the trees down on Maid Street, and there's just convenience stores and fast wow. food places because they service all the people that commute to South Atlanta. Yeah. And the industries that were there when I was growing up, the textile industry and farming are pretty much gone. So oh, now yeah. it's just a place. Uh, Strip malls and uh yeah, it's a it's not a very pretty little town, but it was it's when I was bad. growing up, and and we used to drive around on dirt roads, etc., uh, doing all kinds of things, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, would never see another car. Uh, yeah, but that's not the case anymore, and that's kind of how I learned to sing was singing along to my. Uh, um, Eight track player in those days, <laughs> right? That's funny. That hey, we know. had those too. <laughs> yeah. We're not too far behind yeah. you. It's, it's funny that you say no car because the other morning I was going to work and I got on Atlanta Road and there were no cars behind me, in front of me. I didn't see on any Atlanta headlights. Road. Yeah, and I thought like something was wrong. Like the <laughs> yeah, area oh, had yeah. been declared radioactive, <laughs> and why am I here? Like exactly. <laughs> you know, that's how different you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a different experience it <laughs> yeah, is right. now. Uh, Shocking. Yeah, Atlanta's uh, right. grown tremendously, leaps and bounds. I'm sure you've you seen know. it, you know. Yeah. Well, Transform. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, the sign in Atlanta at Piedmont Hospital was like a, when it hit a million, or maybe I read it in the paper or something, oh, yeah. heard about oh. it or something, because I was living in Jackson at that time. But uh, 
And now it's like five million or something. Yeah, you know? not Atlanta itself, but the whole metropolitan area. That's right. Yeah, yeah. When I moved here, it was about three million. I think yeah, something like that. Because the Olympics were coming. Yeah, and it that was, was right a, before the really Olympics. Grown. So that was. I, I always remember that right. sign though. Yeah, driving by that. <clears throat> so when you were, so you were getting some of your early influences, you know, musically back then. What's the type of type of stuff you were you were really getting into? When I um, grew up and. You know, I just go ahead and admit I'm I'm old, folks. So we won't we won't <laughs> we deny don't that. You know, um, give them th- numbers. There were you know in the '60s, uh, FM radio didn't come along till the end of the '60s. Uh, I guess it existed, but it wasn't. Uh, you didn't have FM radio stations. It was all AM. Uh, you didn't have the internet, of course, and you didn't have cable, uh, etc. So, for instance, uh, Otis Redding. Um, was in Macon, Georgia, just 45 miles south of me, him. But I found about out about him uh, on a Rolling Stone record. In fact, I found out a lot about uh, different uh, American uh, R&B and, and uh, blues artists uh, through English artists uh, yeah. in right. those days. Because you could hear them on the radio. I mean, right. The Beatles and the Stones and the Animals, et cetera, were being played on the radio. And you buy the but, 45 uh, and you see who really wrote this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, I went to my first uh, concert the summer before Otis died, uh, Otis Redding Homecoming show. That that summer, I saw three shows. There were a lot of people, a lot of acts on the bill, but the headliners were Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, and James Brown. Whoa! Uh, and that kind of changed my life. <laughs> Stop right sense. there! I can imagine <laughs> if that didn't change your life. <laughs> uh, and in those days, uh, the audiences were about uh, 90% African-Americans, and the white folks sat up in the third balcony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't realize that the first time I went down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we went down front, but nobody bothered us. But yeah. uh, we looked up and noticed that all the people that had the same uh, skin, uh, colors skin hue yeah. as we did were up in the third balcony. <laughs> so the other concerts, we sat up there. But I was right down front. Yeah. Um, and awesome. my, you know, I, I grew up slowly in Jackson, but at the same time, my father died when I was young, yeah. and uh, I lived in a pretty religious family that didn't really talk a whole lot, uh, especially, you know. So, um, I had all these pent up emotions, and I was looking, at least subconsciously, looking for an outlet for those emotions. And when I saw Otis, I think uh, subconsciously that something clicked. I was like, yeah. wow. This guy is can let all his emotions out, and people love it. I love it. In fact, <laughs> yeah. I was drawn to uh, Southern soul and blues initially just f- strictly for the emotion, I think, uh, yeah. uh, more than anything else, or as much as anything else. Right. But Macon was – and then I got into the Almond Brothers. Uh, right. And then when I finally came to Atlanta to go to Georgia Tech, and I started playing guitar as a senior at Tech. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, – but anyway, so a little bit later on, really, quite yeah. a bit later on, yeah. and I've got no excuse now because I've been playing for a long time. But uh, <laughs> um, that was—I was a little late started, and it took me a while before I had the courage to think that I could do it because I thought that was something you did when you were from London or New York or L.A. or something, right? Uh, and then I found out, well, Otis is from here, and then I found right. out about the other history of people, Little Richard. Of course, I didn't think I could do anything like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it took me a while to, to get the courage to uh, try to do it myself. And then I went to graduate school in New Orleans. My mother remarried after 10 years, and, and I had a wonderful stepfather who uh, offered me the opportunity to go to graduate school anywhere I wanted to. Right. And uh, um, I said, how about New Orleans? And so I went to uh, Tulane, and that was where I actually... Then you really got your musical education. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's where I picked up the name Kodak, uh, 
and which oh. is now a legal name. I was going to ask you. And that guitar yeah. that I just played, I bought that. So I felt like Kodak was born in New Orleans, and that's when I, where I made the decision to try to do the things that I wanted to do instead of the things that other people wanted me to right. do, which i had been cool. doing up to that point. Uh, well, I want to hear the story about the name. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, Okay. <laughs> You don't have to give us your original I've, name, but I've told no. You know, I, I don't have a problem with that. But uh, uh, I've, for some reason, uh, my name is Robert, but nobody ever called me Robert. They always called me Bobby back in the day, and later on, I tried to uh, graduate to Bob, but didn't like either name really. And apparently, nobody else liked it either because I had <laughs> nicknames at every stage of the game, right. all the way through, just tons of <laughs> nicknames. Uh, Kodak was the last nickname I picked up, so I felt like, well, that w- that must work. <laughs> that uh, must be the one. <laughs> and I spell it differently because it had nothing to do. In fact, at that time, uh, I'm kind of an amateur photographer now, but at that time, I didn't even have a camera. Yeah. Um, and the way it started, uh, my college roommate and I at Tech used to make up uh, stories with fictitious characters with crazy names like uh, Coco Kabiski and Kodak Babalucci and Joe Savacati and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was telling one of those stories to musician friends in New Orleans. And uh, one of the guys, uh, Tabby Crab, uh, William Talmadge Crab the third. Tabby Crab. <laughs> Tabby Crab. Um, he must have been a Creole. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually a Georgia boy uh, oh, okay. from down uh, Waycross Way. But uh, anyway, he said, Kodak Harrison. Sounds kind of like an old country western star, and I was in I was in a little country western phase, and yeah, and uh, it kind of fit, and so everybody started calling me Kodak. A couple of weeks later, uh, I was um, went to see him and his wife had a little uh, folk duo down in the French Quarter, and I walked in. It was a slow night, and uh, Tabby from stage said, uh, "There's Kodak Harrison, world famous fiddle player." <laughs> well, I don't play fiddle, but, right. you know. And the bartender came over. I sat down at the bar. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh oh, that, that was nah, a good thing. Right. That, that's just a little thunder we have in the studio here. But, <laughs> uh, the bartender came over and said, Kodak, uh, drinks on me. Why don't you go get your fiddle? And Tabby from stage, yeah, why don't you get your fiddle? Kodak? And I said, well, you know, the cow stepped on it or something. Like that. <laughs> right. and, but after that, it stuck. And I went and visit friends once, and they weren't there. And I said, I'm oh, sorry, I missed your KODAC because it had nothing to do with the camera. Yeah. I, I bring that up for two reasons. Uh, because that makes it more unique to me. And there was another Kodak, Kodak the uh, comic from Rochester, and he got sued and had to drop uh, Who was that? his name. He's played Kodak. the punchline in a bunch of really? places around. Kind I of. A, I don't know that he's been on TV or whatnot. I, I never yeah. have seen him. Hey, but you're he was the only the, Kodak I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he had to drop yeah. it. Uh, and oh, But yeah? his lawyer got in touch with me. Uh, really? Trying to prove that Kodak was a common name. I think I'm the only one he found, but I didn't want to be sued. And I found out that, and it's, and it's been a legal name since 83. Um, the fact that I legalized it, yes. Okay. And uh, my legal name now is Robert Sanders Kodak Harrison. Yeah. Um, you want to know the real name? There it is. All right. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Hope you don't have creditors looking for you or something. You know, I don't. Well, that may be true, but that, that maybe they won't be listening to this. Case That's right. Um, any creditors out there? You know? Right. Um, so it's a legal name, and the, and I spell it different. And the lawyer said, "Well, I don't think you're going to have any problem because it's been a while since you legalized it, and uh, you spell it different, and blah blah blah. Use it with your last name, and I've never had a problem." So, so the other guy was just calling himself Kodak and just yeah spelling he was spelling exactly, exactly like the camera, like the camera. Yeah. and he was it was a nickname <clears throat> for him too I think he had got picked up in Vietnam uh, because he was from Rochester which is the home of Kodak so oh okay that was the reason he got that name but too <laughs> close um, you know what the best part of that story is what I, I think you figured it out I think I know what I'm going to do now 
I'm going to try and pick like some rare instrument that I'll have people, you know, like say that I'm like some expert in. That way, wherever I go, that instrument's never around. So then people will be like, wow, he's a, he's a pretty good guitar player for, you know, uh, for, uh, for a, you know, for a Susan French Sloan. horn player, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, for a French horn player, he can really play guitar. So it makes my guitar playing seem a little bit. I, I did. So I was thinking brilliant. like that night, that would have been like, wow, That's you know. Right. Well, I'll, I, I'll try this guitar here, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I it's mentioned that uh, that I started playing guitar, uh, and I when I say started, I messed around with it a little bit in high school, but then I quit when I got to tech, and then since when I restarted when I was a senior, I haven't quit. But I played French horn. Oh, you did? Uh, two years Random. in the junior high band, you know, so yeah, yeah. I've got a little French horn in my background. Right, that's it. Speaking that's my it. new, I'm the best French horn player south of D.C. All right, say. I hear you. So then everywhere I go now, when I pick up a guitar, they're going to be like, this isn't even, he doesn't yeah. even barely play. That's guitar. that French horn player. <laughs> that's a French horn. Never trumpet. carries a horn with him. The next <laughs> thing you know, they'll be calling you Frenchy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful, or maybe horny. Uh, <laughs> oh, see, that's how well. That, that well, <laughs> well. All right, so we, we could left, probably nickname all ourselves that. We left off in New Orleans. I, I know we can't get into all the history, certainly at times, anyway. because we'll be here for for, for days. But um, that you lived uh, anywhere else that you lived uh, that we should. Bring I spent up three years in California, and that was where I first uh, uh, oh, so started playing college? professionally. Uh, okay. Yeah, and after graduate school. Um, what part? I played. Uh, I lived in the Monterey Salinas area. In fact, my first gig, very nice, was at a place in Salinas, California. And I'd learned about Salinas, learning the words to me and Bobby McGee uh, somewhere near Salinas. Somewhere near Salinas. And I, I kept playing that over. In those days, you know, to learn the lyrics, it was a turntable. When you had to put the needle <laughs> back, right. and yeah. you know, and kept. I said, Salinas. Where the hell was that? But then, you know, I found myself living there, and I had my first gig there, which was exciting to me because it was a at a place called East of Eden. John Steinbeck is a big, um, I'm a big fan of John Steinbeck. Yeah. And uh, his hometown was Salinas, and East of Eden was one of his books uh, hmm. that uh, they made a movie out of. It was starting James Dean. And so I felt like um, this was a good omen. Now, here's where the, the story uh, takes a sharp turn. Okay. Uh, in those days, I had... I was I was not a natural person on stage, not natural behind the microphone. I was uh, petrified, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> yeah. It's just something I wanted to do. I was extremely nervous. So it's funny, isn't that how? I mean, I, same way. I mean, I was so stage fright. Actually, I remember one of our first gigs. I turned out. I was like nervous, and I was like, Nah, I just want to get out there and do it. And I was like, Nah. Yeah. I mean, some people are. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I really wanted it to be good, or I know some people are not nervous at all, and they don't have any problem being bad. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, right, I, I digress. Uh, but uh, so right what I decided I would do was to go in in the afternoon, get everything set up, and then walk in at the last minute so I wouldn't sit around and get nervous. So I walked in at the last minute, and somebody else was playing. Yeah, uh, they double booked the gig, oh. and uh, so <laughs> welcome to the music business. Yeah. And uh, they gave me his gig a week later, and I played at this place off and on for over a year. But still, it was uh, it kind of devastating at that moment. Uh, right. Yeah. When I walked in and somebody else was playing, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh what, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly those yeah. nerves turned to anger. <laughs> Ever since then, when, I, when I'm on the road or something, I like to pick up uh, the local whatever it is, creative loafing, or yeah. at least see, see the, the billing uh, just to make sure I am going to play there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Give a call over there. Yeah, yeah, right. 
guys do realize I'm playing. Yeah. Well, nowadays you have to check so many avenues. You know, yeah. you got to check the place's website, their Facebook page, their make sure. Uh, so then you decided to, uh, I guess, eventually come back and uh, and make it out here well, in Georgia. I was an East Coast bo- uh, boy, and a lot of those musician friends uh, that I met in New Orleans uh, moved to West Virginia. And used in West Virginia, why that? Yeah. Well, uh, there was a group of people from Texas uh, that one of the the guys' grandparents lived in West Virginia. So this is back to the garden time, and they went up there and started a a commune. Uh-huh. Uh, a hippie uh, farm, you yeah. might say, and and this is uh, not the first commune we've heard about on that's our true. Show. Yeah. And so uh, I had been up there during Christmas uh, once when I was back, and I was real curious about what was happening there. Bet and, you were. Uh, <laughs> um, I was thinking about moving to San Francisco and blah blah blah. And I had a friend of mine from my hometown, from Jackson, out there, and because he didn't care so much about moving. Uh, and then another friend called and said, you should come back and sing in my wedding. And he was, you know, whining that if you guys hadn't left, maybe I wouldn't be getting married. I'm uh, <laughs> but I thought, okay, I'll come sing in your wedding, then I'll go to West Virginia. So on the spur of the moment, I went from moving from Salinas to Berkeley to uh, coming back east. And you never know. Everybody uh, faces those crossroads in their lives. And and uh, it's like when I moved to New York City uh and I came back from there too. You always wonder, what if I'd have stuck it out, or what if That's I had right. stayed, or what if I'd yeah. have yeah, you done this? Know. But you know, you can't regret those things. Right. You know, you can't uh, do the what ifs. You know, you know. But uh, I, I uh, came back from California and moved to West Virginia. And wow! Then, so West Virginia—that's that's probably took you back to some of your uh, early home t- uh, Jackson days, I would bet, because pretty quiet in West Virginia. Well, yeah, uh, back to more rural. Uh, yeah. Um, it's like mountain town up to there. urban, but at the same time, it was very rural there. We lived about yeah. five miles up a dirt road uh, on a ridge, and in those days, it was beyond anything I experienced in Jackson because it was we had no electricity and, and uh, no running water. Wow. And we heated with wood, and it was it was yeah. cheap as hell to live. It cost me ten dollars <laughs> yeah. a week to live there, and that and that covered my food. Wow! So I could go to Charleston and, and play a, a gig once a month and be pretty much taken care of. Nice. Um, and, uh, and but I'd felt isolated up there, so I actually went back and forth a lot in those days. I'd come back to Atlanta because it's more expensive here, and yeah, or back to Jackson and uh, kind of go back and forth. I felt isolated up there, but at the same time, it was I was trying to learn and practice guitar, and I really enjoyed. Uh, living up there but it it got pretty uh uh in the winter time it was tough oh okay. uh, yeah. so i only spent one Especially complete from winter here. there yeah. yeah and uh i experienced one complete winter there but uh and you said enough of this <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah and um and so much so that you couldn't get up the dirt road so you'd have to park down the mountain and and walk, walk up. uh Ugh. walk up a mile or so uh you know in wow. in the snow or carrying your guitar and all it, it was pretty rough but you know i was i was young yeah, and, what was, uh, was worse? A great experience. What do you think was worse, walking up those uh, snowy dirt roads or the steps at Smith's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it depends that's, on what you carry in. That's true. I, I can only imagine. You know, 
Ira just post. We just posted something. We have actually over five thousand subscribers now to Two Faces Radio, which seems pretty incredible to us. Uh, you know, just yeah. thank you again, everybody. Th- thank you so much. And um, this is kind of like I'm sure car talk, you know, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there's people. So out next there thing who are you like, know, you know, you guys <laughs> yeah. are going to be, you know, NPR, right. we'll, we'll be on NPR, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, I'm sure there's some people out there. I got to see these steps over at Smith's because it's been mentioned like a few times. Yeah, you know, I know what a crappy load in it is, but what a great room it yeah. is, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> they're getting their press, that's for sure. When I was, I don't play electric guitar anymore, but back in the 80s when I was trying to be a rock star, I did. And, of course, I had a huge amp, and, and that was uh, quite a problem. Now I just walk up with my acoustic guitar. It's not such a It's big, easier, isn't it? It's yeah. easier, yeah. 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 Of course, the drummers hate it because they have to <laughs> right. take all their drums up there. Well, know? what about the about those the organ P3 play? yeah. players that yeah, yeah. refuse to play uh you know, uh, an electronic. They should uh, just get yeah. one up there. <clears throat> they should. They should there. just keep yeah. one. They really should. Open the corner up there. So when did you when did you settle back in Atlanta, sort of permanently, or in uh, the Atlanta area? After coming <laughs> back uh, east, I uh, like I said, I went up to West Virginia and was kind of back and forth over there, and then I came back to Atlanta, um, and lived here for a year over on the edge of Inman Park uh, and played Little Five Points Pub and things like that. Yeah, and um, and then went back to West Virginia, uh, and then we broke up, and uh, I moved back down here, uh, and then moved to New York City for a short while. Um, Did you do it just for? Uh, I just felt like I needed to seek out the ultimate American urban experience. Yeah, well, that would <laughs> that would be uh, it. I wanted it? to go up there, so I didn't know a soul, so it was quite nerve wracking. I met some wonderful folks that kind of took care of me. Uh, but I finally kind of run, ran out of money, and it was right before Christmas. And uh, I was thinking, you Let's know, go, go home, home, put gas in my car, or else uh, I couldn't find a free place to stay, or else, you know, right. find a cheap place. And uh, I decided to put gas in the car and come home. But sometimes, again, I wonder what would have happened if I just stuck it out in New York City. But uh, Yeah. Anyway. Why are you glad you're here now, though? Yeah, I've been here, and it would. I, I love water, and Atlanta has no water. In other words, yeah. it's not a city built yeah. on, the, on the ocean or on a lake a few hours or a yeah. river. Yeah. I mean, the Chattahoochee's out there, but it doesn't cut through town. In fact, a few years back when they were talking about how, how can we save downtown, I said, well, just reroute the Chattahoochee through downtown, <laughs> and everybody looks like you're crazy. I said, well, they changed the direction of the Chicago River, so it no longer runs into the uh, – I'm not – hadn't quite figured that out but it's true they built right. a series of locks so now the the river does not dump into lake michigan there yeah. which was polluting the drinking water and they re got it where it goes a different direction i'm like right i don't know how you reverse the direction <laughs> of the river, but i thought if they can do that we can put uh, right. the chattahoochee through town well, but well, be, anyway it would be nuts uh, coming down like uh 75 85 and you see like a big paddle boat running next yeah, to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but uh I've, I've i've traveled a lot and uh spent a lot of time down on the coast around the savannah area etc yeah. uh but you know, i'm pretty interested in atlanta i don't think i could do what i do anywhere else so i don't i don't yeah. really see me for the first time in my life i can say i don't really see moving uh, before that, I was thinking I'm going to be moving. Right, I'm going to be moving to Europe. Or I'm moving to the, this place or that place, and never did. Interesting. Well, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I mean, I you know, when you first started getting some real attention, you know, getting a lot of people out to your shows and everything, and started building up the big bands. Um, it's just somebody getting out of their truck. Yeah, that's I know. Getting a lot of noise okay. outside. 
Um, Don't these people know we're doing this is Two Faces Radio Studio? In it? <laughs> they, are they not aware? <laughs> well, at, at show our, session, we need our to put on, on air the red light is Mexican broken. radio. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's right. <clears throat> West Side Radio. It is uh, West Side Radio. Um, when you started playing, when was it when, you know, I guess when you started doing some of these early recordings, you were just doing them on your own. But then, then I know eventually you got some attention from some other labels and that type of uh, thing. All independent labels. Um, yeah. And um, I right. released 15 different recordings, I think, of different, you know, a couple smaller ones, but uh, mostly CDs, but three albums back in the 80s and, and a, a little EP. And then there was the double live cassette release. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bought many double cassettes back in my Nothing day. Nothing wrong with a good double live cassette, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. But uh, then cassettes kind of became obsolete, and you're like, God, I got too many of them. Right. I'm do these <laughs> what do I do with a thousand well, double live yeah. cassettes? Well, I have a cassette player in my car, so if you want to throw one yeah, my me way, too, I'd be still. glad to listen well, to it. I, if I'd have known that, I'd have brought a whole box <laughs> off for you. <laughs> anyway. Well, what are we doing? What I don't know exactly at? what happened. But. We're, lo- we're looking uh, pretty late. We're looking pretty late. But, Can uh, I ask uh, just a couple quick questions? No, I was going to ask you if you wanted to do uh, a few more things, and then we're going to hear another song. I just had a couple, th- because you've played with... And in front of some, you were talking about being nervous, you know, back in California, you know, nervous for that one show. And I noticed that you played in front of Ray Charles at one point. Um, I was that. That's, Did uh, you know you were playing in front of Ray Charles or was that one of those uh, things? Actually, I, I didn't. But it's, okay. it's it was. Let me tell that story right quick. And I'm trying to make it quick. First that's of all, right. I played uh, um, for the wedding at the Carter Center for uh, Chip Carter, Jimmy Carter's uh, son. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, President Carter, Chip didn't give me, we're kind of old friends, and it was his third marriage, and he didn't give me a whole lot of uh, direction. He just said, just play something for us to march down to, play some march out, you know, <laughs> play for 30 minutes ahead of time. I don't care what you play. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll play one of my songs. So I played one of my songs, and uh, during, during rehearsal, um, I, I stopped when they got to the altar, and Andrew Young was uh, officiating. Yeah. Um, and uh, his wife came over and said, "You write that song? I like that song." And then President Carter came over and said, "Is that the whole song?" I said, "No, I, I uh, uh, quit because they got to the altar." He said, "Well, play me the song." Really? So you speaking speaking to being nervous? Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy <laughs> Carter standing right in Jimmy front of you. Jimmy Carter there, you? and yeah. and Rosalind Carter, and Andrew Young and his wife Carolyn, and Chip and his. Uh, Soon to be wife, and I Becky. guess you don't say nah. Not the uh, so I did, and yeah. uh, President Carter said it's the perfect song for the for the wedding, and uh, but I said uh, uh, it's too long. He said, "Well, they'll just have to march in at the end of the song." Funny. <laughs> so uh, uh, sure enough, what a compliment uh, though. Uh, right? I was we were playing, and nobody was paying attention while people were filing in there at the Carter Center, and uh, I was thinking, when are we supposed to play this song? Uh, and uh, the the lady that was in charge said, "Well, I don't know, but President Carter's very punctual." And and sure enough, at two minutes before the 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 top of the hour when the wedding was supposed to start, he uh, rose and got everybody's attention and just by standing up. Yeah. And he said, uh, uh, "The wedding will start in two minutes. In the meantime, I want everybody to listen to this song." And of wow. course, immediately everybody so he like <laughs> introduced us, you know. And I was like kidding him afterwards. Said. Uh, you know, maybe you could um, go on the road with us. And us <laughs> Might garner some uh, attention. And anyway, as a result of that that gig, um, there was a uh, Andrew Young's wife asked me if I would 
play at a birthday party for Andrew Young, and I thought, sure, I can do that. I'm thinking backyard barbecue. I'm off to the side, you know. But yeah. it turns out it was a fundraiser tribute with 500 people, no, 1,500 people at $500 a plate, including Ray Charles, Bill Clinton, uh, Hank Aaron, um, et cetera, et cetera, Coretta Scott Holy King, uh, Maya Angelou, and Maya Angelou, and um, Harry Belafonte were the host of this tribute. Wow. And, uh and I actually uh, was asked, commissioned, and wrote a song which they approved uh, specifically for the for the event. That's and cool. uh, but as a result, yeah, uh, Ray Charles was out there, and all those people, and and I was pretty uh, awestruck uh, okay. in that situation. Maya Angelou, I always picture her talking like that. Po- like her po- whenever she reads her poems, yeah. I picture her talking like that all the time. <laughs> well, she kind of somebody does. bring me some <laughs> milk. <laughs> <laughs> Like all the time, everything's so dramatic. Well, and like yeah. her friends being like, Maya, enough. It's nice to meet you, Miss Angel. Stop with the dramatics. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, she's another, I mean, but that's another major, major, you know. Yeah. Well, especially being a public. country's icon, you know, icon, legendary person in our country. Well, that exactly. must, must make you feel like uh, Southern royalty. Playing that type of stuff, uh, and and that kind of stuff is the reason I was invited uh, this time uh, to play at the King Center. But yeah, right. Camille Love, who's head of uh, cultural affairs, I think she was there that night, and uh, so kind of knew me from. And I had, uh, I guess she got word somehow, maybe through my. I think she's on my email list. I'm not sure that I had this re-recording of the song, and uh, um, so she had asked me to play it at the King Center, and uh, that was great. Another uh, speaking of meeting. You know, people like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, introducing and singing with Patti Smith at the Civic Center. Mm. And, oh, wow. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Gave her a ride back to her, her guitar player back to the uh, to her hotel and talked to her for a while. And that was a thrill for yeah, me. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, She'd be right in, that, uh, right in that wheelhouse for you. The people singers. have the power, yeah. 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 <clears throat> she's, she's amazing. Uh, what was it? Horses? Was that her first yeah, record? That's yeah. the, the, uh, one of those... Amazing debut records. Cool. Well, what do you say there, we're, uh, Paco? I know. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up soon. You got I know. friends in high places there, Kodak. I know. I know there's a lot we didn't get into. I got friends but... in low places. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe I'll write a song. But no, I'm just right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a song. That sounds... <laughs> hey, if it worked once. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, we're coming to the end here, so we're going to hear another song. And and before you play this one too, one other thing I had on my list that I wanted to ask you about was your record label called Corner Records. Yeah. Um, now, do you, do you have other bands on that label too, or is it no. mostly just made just so you could put your stuff out? It, it was uh, a vehicle. Just uh, I've had some people that wanted to be on it, but I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really have a staff to do right. anything for okay. you. Uh, a fellow in Germany wanted to be on my label. And he said, I don't worry about that. He just wanted to have on an American label. I was like. Yeah, just it was just I use it for you know to promote my own songs, music, bands, and stuff. But like I say, I mean you know there's right. only so much I can do because oh, I yeah. don't have a, a staff to really promote it or you know a budget, and so it's it's cool, but it's right. at the same time it's limiting. First, limited. And then one of your old bands was called Lucky Street. Yeah, and uh, Lucky Street still kind of exists. Uh, yeah, in and out, um, and um, that all came from way back. Uh, 
uh, on my first album, we were taking band pictures, and we went downtown and took band pictures around Lucky the Street. Lucky Street and International used to intersect. I think they've changed the names of those streets now. I think International is now Andrew Young Boulevard. Right, right. Anyway, but I, I thought Lucky Street International, that's cool. And so <laughs> Lucky Street uh, International. <laughs> so I've uh, my publishing company is Lucky Street Music, and my band I called it Lucky Street there for a while. So oh, that's cool. Kind of all came from it's that. It's funny taking street names like we have uh, the Ballad of Holmes and Tallulah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We <laughs> well, in in my first vinyl album, uh, had a picture, uh, a drawing, of uh, a, a color pencil drawing. Actually, uh, a friend of mine, an artist Glenn Eden, who who draws. Uh, from photographs, and uh, he was looking for models after one of my songs, and we took pictures of the Lucky Street Grill. So huh. it all kind of, you know, there was it a lot of... all came together. It all came together. And, and I also liked it, during those days, um, back in the 80s, Lucky Street was was not Lucky Street. It was pretty <laughs> hardcore down on your luck. Not too lucky right. if you're on Lucky Street. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of changed since then. There's anyway. a song in there, right? <laughs> Unlucky Street. Yeah. Uh, are we on the radio? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought we were running out of time. And, well, and I'm not, going on and on about Lucky Street. Well, yeah, so. well, technically, I mean, we can go as long as we want to. I just try yeah, to. Yeah, I understand. I try to crack Well, you can edit whip. some of the stuff. Yeah, Take it out. well, yeah. I mean, especially when I got up to check for the. Might have. There's a couple minutes. But All right. Well, we'll get to song number two. And uh, you can go ahead and introduce that. Uh, this is called Certain Sadness. And this is a little different cool. version uh, than the original version. Uh, anyway, Certain Sadness. You can't stay here. You got to move on. There ain't nothing for you here anymore. You gotta jump in the water, you gotta swim the river. If you expect to make that opposite shore, and once you jump in, don't you give up, or the current will pull you down. You can't turn back the hands of time So don't even think about turning around Cause there's a certain sadness in saying goodbye There's a certain sadness in leaving And it's bound to make you cry Even when there's no for grieving But sometimes the river runs wild Sometimes it overflows Sometimes the snakes will strike Sometimes the river runs cold But it'll do no go to worry about things you can't control
maybe a few regrets but you can't let them eat you alive you gotta take a deep breath dive right in keep your mind on the day you'll arrive cause there's a certain sadness in saying goodbye there's a certain sadness in leaving and it's bound to make you cry even when there's no reason for grieving there's a certain sadness in saying goodbye there's a certain sadness in saying goodbye there's a certain sadness in saying goodbye saying goodbye saying goodbye saying goodbye saying goodbye yeah now that was a nice song what do you say there friend <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you I could, started it up. I feel I like I go on talking for another I know, hour. You have so much. We're gonna wrap I mean, it up. It was it was uh it was really great to read about you and and learn about learn so much about you, um, especially because of like Ira saying you know how how big you were when we first moved here around that time, and uh, it was interesting to right. read all that stuff. But it was a little bit overwhelming. I mean, you've got a lot that you've done and and experienced. So. We'll have to get you back in at some point. Absolutely, that'd be great. I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. Like yeah. I said, anything you, know, you got in, you know, you got an event coming up or anything, you want to yeah. come in and want to get anything off your well, chest. Well, I'm uh, playing. I've been playing a month of Mondays uh, at Java Monkey uh, every Monday night, and this coming Monday will be will be my last Monday there. And of course, I do the portrait reading there every Sunday night. We've been doing that for almost nine years. And, wow, um, every Sunday, cool. every Sunday. Okay. Yes. So, Get a good uh, crowd out for that every. Oh, it's amazing! Uh, you know how cold it's been at the beginning of this month, uh, and we're out on the. It's an enclosed patio, and there are some heaters out there, but it's it's it was too cold. It overwhelmed those heaters, but yet yeah. it was packed. Of course, right. the more people awesome. get in there, the the, the more, more body heat you up. have there. But uh, uh, it's it's pretty amazing what right. we what we've accomplished there, and and the crowds we get, and the things that we've done out of there. Well, cool. So Great. there's a lot going yeah. on. I will tell uh, our listeners, you know, we'll have your uh, website up on our website so people can check it out. And I will encourage everybody to check it out because there's, I mean, you could just read through it and there's a lot going on. You know, there's poetry, there's art, there's, uh, you know, everything that's gone on in your life and everything. So it's a, it's a good read is, <laughs> is what I'm saying. You know, your website and all your, your bio information and everything. So I would hope so. So we'll have that. And then, uh, you know, as Brian mentioned earlier, thanks again, everybody. 5,000 yeah. uh, subscribers so far. Yeah. And counting. So and counting, uh, thanks hopefully. again. And that's uh, awesome. Yeah, Cur- thanks. I c- encourage everybody to tell two faces. Right. Now. And then also, uh, I forgot <clears throat> to mention it on our last podcast, yeah. but also, you know, we have our uh, survey. Our listener survey yes. is on the homepage of our website. So if you're on our homepage, look to the right. And uh, that would help us out big time. If you, it, it, it takes less than five minutes. You just take this uh, survey. And tell us what you like about the show, what you and, don't like, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to spill the beans on anything, but we do have an official sponsor coming soon. Right. So we've got but that. It's not in the, official. So not official yet. So I'm not spilling the we're beans. We're not going to sponsor but anybody in, until it's oh, official. Awesome. But it's in the works. <laughs> it's in the works, and it will happen. It's right. just. It's just. Uh, well, on taking that survey, will help us get more and more, yeah, and then definitely we can only make the show better and better and better. And yes, it'll help everybody out. 
So uh, thanks for that. And uh, once again, this has been episode 21. My name is Ira Malkin. That's uh, Brian McClenning over there. Yes, Our guest today is uh, Kodak Harrison. We'd like to thank you again for coming in here yeah, and doing it. It's been my pleasure. And I'll play this other song that you mentioned, uh, and you can do what, what we will. It, what yeah, we will. It, we we're going to do, yeah, we're going to have him do a bonus song like we do with a lot of our guests, and we'll release that some other time. So uh, until then, you know, stick around, stay tuned, and like we always like to say, save, save it, it for, for the, the show. show.